Thanks for listening to Adopted Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Nelson, and today in our study of Isaiah 9, 1-7, through we're going to see how Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy is already, but not yet. So I'm not going to read this passage. However, I will reference it and other scriptures. So the readings are going to come from the ESV. So today we're going to see how Jesus has already fulfilled this prophecy, Isaiah 9, 1-7, how Jesus will fulfill this prophecy, and why both are reasons for hope and rejoicing. So first let's look at how he already fulfilled this prophecy. So when I'm studying through Isaiah, I like to look at phrases or words and then explain them more. Um, I think that's a good way of explaining this, and we can really get the gist of the passage by looking at that. You know, um, as I teach, I want to teach the passage. I want to show you what it means, and I think the best way of doing that is by showing you what each um, what each part means. So first, let's look at a great light. I'm looking at verse 2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Um, this reminds me of John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. This is Jesus talking. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we see clearly here that Jesus is indeed the light for the world. Um, and I think this is a very clear indication that Jesus is that light. That's what Isaiah is referring to. Prior to Jesus' birth, not only did God's people not have a way to salvation apart from faith in God demonstrated through keeping the law, but they also hadn't heard from God in centuries. You know, this wasn't like even in the heyday of um, the Old Testament, um, like in David's time or in Moses or Joshua's time. This was like in an era of really deep spiritual darkness. Um, the highest spiritual leaders were in darkness. They were what Jesus would call whitewashed tombs, or as the King James says, whitewashed sepulchers. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, so that really is what they were, and they really had darkness. So Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, both physically and spiritually. Um, that really is crucial to our understanding of a great light. So obviously we know Jesus healed the blind man. Um, he healed a lot. I feel like he healed a fair amount of blind men. Um, at least recorded. I mean, obviously he probably recorded or um, he probably healed hundreds of blind men, but they record a few times where he heals blind men. Um, and so that's probably what we think of, but we also need to realize that spiritually he opened the eyes of the blind. And that's because they were able to see God in Jesus, because Jesus is God. They hadn't seen that light before, but God gave them salvation so they could see Jesus and trust him. God shows his glory to man in the person of Jesus Christ. We don't, that's why we believe. Um, we don't believe because it's the right thing to do. We don't obey because it's the right thing to do. We obey because it's Jesus and he is all glorious. Jesus is the reason we obey. Um, and that is so crucial for us. Um, we need to realize that Jesus and his glory is central to all our theology, all our daily living. So next, let's look at the next phrase here. You have multiplied the nation. 
So Romans 11 shows us how Gentiles have become part of God's chosen people. So prior to Jesus, only Jews could have salvation, those who kept the law demonstrating their faith in God. Um, so that would have been obviously a pretty small group. Um, obviously, there were a lot of Jews, but, you know, not very big. Um, you look at America today, I mean, obviously, world population wasn't that big. But, um, like, America today is 330 million people. And there were a lot of people on the earth at that time who did not know God. They hadn't heard from him um, because God had only chosen Israel. However, now God has chosen the church. We are now free from the law and have entered into God's chosen people because of Jesus Christ. God's chosen people is no longer just Israel as in Jews. God's people is Israel as in the church. Um, that's who God's chosen people are. Um, it's now no longer any one nation. It is rather the people of God in the church, the global church. That is God's people. So, um, to liken our salvation, God gives us a great analogy of the battle of Midian. Um, in Israel's day, this would have been a very keen, um, picture, very vivid imagery. So Gideon, if you don't know the story, Gideon was a, he was in a poor, um, poor family, low status, and he was the youngest. So like all signs point to this guy, you know, just having like a dead end job in life, um, not getting a lot of money, not being really famous, but instead God uses him to free Israel from their captor, captors, Midian. Um, and they had a huge army. I think it was around 150,000. Gideon took them down with 300 men. And so, obviously, that was not because of Gideon's strength. Because, you know, 300 men, no matter how good of soldiers they are, can't take down 150,000. However, they did because God allowed them to. And he actually turned the army of Midian against themselves. So, God used not even 300 men but rather one man, Jesus Christ, to save his people from their sins. He's like, you think the battle of Midian's cool? Look at this. I'll send my only son, one man, the God-man, to take away, as Isaiah 9, 4 says, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. Those are the burdens of sin to take those away from us through Jesus Christ. We are free from our sin now because of God's Son. So, finally, let's look at Jesus' names. So, we are given four names. First, Wonderful Counselor. This carries implication of divinity and wise teaching. Obviously, Jesus taught a lot, and he was infinitely wise in his teaching. Um, we see Mighty God. If the name Wonderful Counselor didn't convince you of Jesus' divinity before. Well, here's this name for you. Um, next, we'll look at Everlasting Father. So this one's a little more unusual. Um, we're used to um, Father being used only for God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. However, we see this given to Jesus. And so he does act like this on his time on earth. Um, he acted like a father to his disciples and friends. Um, he would used to call a lot of his, uh, a lot of people he talked to, son or daughter. Um, and so that's really how that was fulfilled. 
And finally, we see Prince of Peace. Um, Jesus, the resurrected ruler, obtained peace with God for his people. So next, let's look how Jesus will fulfill this prophecy. So Jesus' kingdom will be glorious. Notice what verse 7 says. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus will reign forever and ever, and his kingdom is infinite. Like, just, just get that around your mind. The increase of his government and of peace will be no end. It is vast, infinite, and Jesus will reign in perfect justice and righteousness forever and ever. So next, finally, let's conclude by looking at why both are reasons for hope and rejoicing. How we can rejoice in him already fulfilling this prophecy and how we can rejoice in him still to, still to fo- fully fulfill this prophecy. So we can rejoice and have confidence now because we have peace with God because of our wonderful Savior. And we can have confidence and hope for the future because we know that our God and High King will return to rule on earth forever. Thanks for listening to another episode of Adopted Believers Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out at our website, AdoptedBelievers.com, for episodes and other resources. And like us at Facebook at Adopted Believers.